What a message in that old hymn, Jeremiah chapter 24. Jeremiah chapter 24, we'll begin in verse 1. Looking at another object lesson this morning. God uses a lot of object lessons to help us understand some things. Uh, we call them parables, but they were object lessons to the people then because they understood this very, very well. We'll be looking at figs today. Now, figs aren't too familiar to some of us. Uh, not a very regular part of our diet. Some of you, of course, uh, know about figs. Your grandparents, a lot of times, would make fig preserves, and you knew about all of that. But the fig is one of the most familiar plants at the Hebrews, especially in the Old Testament, one of the most familiar plants that's mentioned. Almost every family had a fig tree in their yard, even up to New Testament times. You remember when uh, Nathaniel first encountered Jesus in the book of John chapter 1, and Jesus looks at him and says, there's an Israelite in whom there's no guile. And he looked at him and he said, how do you know me? I mean, that's the first time he laid eyes on Jesus. How do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Not a fig tree, but the fig tree. Now, that hit home with Nathaniel. Because every household just about had a fig tree. It gave the best shade. And fig trees were where people sat and meditated and prayed. And there's where Nathaniel was yesterday, under his fig tree. Figs are mentioned 18 times in the Old Testament and four in the New Testament. From Genesis to Revelation, literally, you'll find figs mentioned. Fig trees are mentioned 29 times. So we understand this parable they would have been very familiar with. That's important because there's some key lessons here that they would have gotten that maybe we don't because we're not that familiar with figs and some of the other things in this scripture. But we're going to look at that. We're going to look at other scriptures to understand this scripture uh, this morning. In Jeremiah chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read? Jeremiah chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. The Lord showed me there were two baskets of figs before the temple of the Lord, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the craftsmen and the smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe. The other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten because they are so bad. Again, the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them, not pull them down. I will plant them, not pluck them up. And I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They shall be my people. I will be their God. They will return to me with their whole heart. And as the bag figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad, 
Surely, says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, and the residue of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will deliver them to trouble, to all the kingdoms of the earth, to their harm, to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse in all places where I will drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave them and their fathers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the pictures you give us concerning your ways with us. We know that this parable was written thousands of years ago. But Father, the message is still for us today. Show us that message very plainly from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We read through this passage of scripture, we might read through there, and it seems to be a very casual statement. It's a very important statement. And that's the location of the figs. Look at what is said in just a few words. And the Lord showed me there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. Two baskets of figs. The figs were in baskets. And the baskets were set before the temple of the Lord. Now, to find out what that means, you have to go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26. Deuteronomy, chapter 26. You understand the Bible by reading the Bible. And what the two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord have to do with behavior and have to do with judgment. Well, look at Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, you will take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God I have come in the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. God said specifically, when you go into the land that I'll give to you, they're still over in the wilderness. He said, and then when God blesses you with a crop, you'll take the very first ripened fruit of that and you'll put it in a basket and you'll take it to the place which I will choose, which is meant the place of worship. And you'll give that basket to the priest. And the priest will put it before the altar. We understand that meant this. When God had blessed them with their produce, when God had blessed them with income, when God had blessed them with abundance, they would take the first off of the top and they were to put it in a basket, the first ripened 
fruit. You remember what it said in Jeremiah? It was like the first ripened fruit. That's what we're talking about. And put it in a basket and set it before the Lord. Now, verses 11 and 12 tell us how much of that should you put before the Lord. He said, it will be a tithe unto you. One-tenth off of the top. It'll be a tithe unto you. It's quite interesting. Later on, of course, throughout the discussion of the law, God would begin to refine this. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 16, we understand he speaks of three, three annual harvests, uh, annual feasts. One was the feast of the harvest, and that was called the feast of the first fruits. So this was not a one-time deal that would happen the first time the crop came in after they went over into the promised land and they were one and done. Every single year at the Feast of the Harvest, every year, it was a regular thing, they would take the first fruits. That word first fruits is mentioned at least 24 times throughout the law. First fruits, 24 times. They were to take that annually, regularly, one-tenth, off of the top, and give it to God. Later on, Solomon would say this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of your substance. So what he's saying is, this is how you honor God. You honor God by when he blesses you, you take the first ripened ones. Then he refined it even further. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 19, you are to do the best of the firstfruits. Numbers 18, verse 12, the best of the first fruits. Leviticus says, without blemish, they shall have nothing bruised, cut, crushed, or torn. He was talking about the livestock, and he was talking about anything that you give to God, the best. So let's review. The first ripened, the best, was to be set before the Lord. But somebody left a basket of bad figs. Now, when it says bad figs, count how many times bad and very bad and so bad is mentioned here. I mean, they were bad. They were very bad. They were so bad. And they were, could be translated, they were rotten. They were so bad. They couldn't be eaten. They couldn't be eaten. So here's the picture. You come to the altar. You come to the temple. There are two baskets there. Somebody did the right thing, and they gave God what God had said to give, and then somebody put bad figs in a basket. Now, what do you think happened to the good figs in this family? They kept them. They kept them. This is all mine. And you know what they did? They gave God their picked-over leftovers. Something else was left after I've been taken care of, then I'm going to give it to God. They gave God the leftovers. This was a long-time problem that had developed in the land of Israel. We understand this passage of Scripture was written in, a, in about 600 years before Jesus, 600 B.C. Turn to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, right before Matthew. It's going to be easy to find. Chapter 1, verse 6. 
Now we remember, if you do your homework, Malachi was written 200 years later. 200 years later. So in the book of Jeremiah, there's a problem. There's a problem. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to look. Look at that. There's a basket of good figs, very good figs. Then there's a basket of bad, very bad, so bad. I want you to look at it. There's a lesson there. There's a problem there. There's a problem with my people giving me the leftovers 200 years later. Look at what Malachi says in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I then am the father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. You priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. What did he say in Numbers? The best. What did he say in Leviticus? Not a blemish, not a spot, not a, not a, a, a mistake, not a flaw, nothing bruised, nothing cut, nothing crushed, nothing torn. He said, and you're offering the lame and the crippled. You're offering that that you wouldn't even give to anybody else. And you're giving it to me. God says, we've got problems. We've got problems when my people only offer God picked over leftovers and will not follow the principle of giving God our first fruits. He said, honor God with your first fruits. So there was not a finance problem when it came to the two baskets of figs. It was a heart problem. It was a heart problem. So Jeremiah has identified there's a problem here. But then what's the message of the two baskets? Well, he says that specifically. Let's look at the good basket. Of course, we know the good basket, of course, is the one where somebody honored God the way they should honor God. They gave him that tenth, that first fruit, very, very good figs, followed the rule of God and the word of God. And he says, the good basket, turn back over to Jeremiah, he said, the good basket, I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out from this place into the own good, the land of the Chaldeans. You see, there was a exile that had already happened, that a large portion of the people of Judah had been taken away captive. He says this. He says, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, had been taken away, and all the craftsmen and all the smiths from Jerusalem, all of that had been taken away, brought to Babylon. So we understand they had been taken away, but remember, this didn't take them by surprise. And it's important to realize this when you realize why Jeconiah is to be commended here. God had warned them for well over a century. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15 and 16, I'll summarize that. And the writer of the book of Chronicles summarizes the entire book 
because the entire book of 2 Chronicles starts with the prophets. And the prophets, of course, are calling judgment on the people of Israel and Judah because they had departed from God. Now, they had warned them for over a century. It begins with Isaiah. Isaiah had prophesied over 120 years before. So over 120 years, this is what it says. And God warned them time after time, sending prophet after prophet. And they laughed at the prophets. They scorned the prophets. And they sent them away, and it says, until there was no remedy. So it wasn't like, well, where did these people come from, the Babylonians? God had warned them. God had warned them, they're coming. You better shape up. There's a country here that will sweep you right out of here. And, of course, their idea is they can't touch us. They can't touch us. Look, look at what we are. Look at our country. It's got to be the best. And they continue on ignoring God, giving God their picked-over leftovers. Now, this was 115 years he had warned them. At least 115 years. That means there's several generations involved here we'll look at. So we realize, let's look at what happened in 2 Kings chapter 24. You realize the history. What's this got to do with Jeconiah? Well, it's quite interesting when you look at how things developed. To understand the parable of the fig baskets, you have to understand the history of the two kings that he mentions in the book of Jeremiah chapter 24. In 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 8, Jehoiakim, that's another name for Jeconiah. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and the servants were besieging it. Look at verse 12. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, or Jeconiah, and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon in the eighth year of his reign took him prisoner. Now, this may sound bad. Let's remember. Yes, it says Jeconiah did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yes, he was a sinner in the sight of the Lord. But remember, he had been warned by the prophets. His daddy had been warned by the prophets. His daddy had been warned by the prophets. It's coming. The judgment of God is coming. The king of Babylon is coming and going to take you away. When that judgment came, he yielded to the judgment. He yielded to God's mercy. It says here, they went out to the king of Babylon. You know what happened? They had come to the city to besiege it and take it. They were going to starve them out. They were going to burn them out. And the king went out and said, to spare the city, to spare these people, we're going to surrender. We're going to submit to God's judgment, and we're going to yield to his hand, and we're going to trust in the mercy of God. 
and the city was salvaged. The city was salvaged. Uh, quite interestingly, there's a, there's a modern day, relatively modern day uh, analogy here. A couple of weeks ago, we went to the uh, town of Savannah, Georgia. And there are a lot of buildings in Savannah, Georgia that date back to the 1700s. And somebody would ask, well, why are those buildings there? Because you remember, you got to do American history here. You remember Sherman's March to the Sea, where he went through all the major cities of the South? And he got to Savannah, where every city he went to, he burned everything up. He burned everything up. And he got to Savannah, and the mayor of the town went out and said, there's no way we can stand against you. He said, we're going to yield the city of Savannah. And Sherman spared the city. Sherman spared the people. You see, this is the same thing. He realized it's futile here. We cannot rebel against this guy. We can't rebel against God. We'd heard that God was going to do this. Now God's doing it. I can't fight against God. And so he yielded himself to the mercy of God. He was taken prisoner. But in Jeremiah chapter 52, we realize years later, he was set free. He was allowed to live, taken prisoner, but he was allowed to live, and he was set free. Yes, he was a sinner, says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but he trusted in the mercy of God. Well, let's look at the bad fruit, the bad fruit. The bad fruit, he picks up Zedekiah. Well, what about Zedekiah? We're still in the book of 2 Kings. And Zedekiah is mentioned, of course, in verse 17. The king of Babylon, this is after he had taken Jeconiah captive. The king of Babylon, Jehoiakim's uncle, I mean, made Medaniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place. He changed his name to Zedekiah. So the king of Babylon said, you could be the king uh, over Judah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal and daughter of Jeremiah Libna. And he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. This is this. For because the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, he finally cast them out from his presence, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and camped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. The city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in that city there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through. All the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. Even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around the city, the king went by the way of the plain. Here's Zedekiah. Zedekiah rebelled against God's judgment. King Nebuchadnezzar. And he rebelled against it, and it says he starved him out. He starved him out. What does it say about Zedekiah? It says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and then it says this, and the anger of God was against him. Why? Because of his rebellious nature. 
He refused to acknowledge God's hand and refused to yield to the hand of God and the judgment of God. And he bowed up, as we would say in South Arkansas, and thought he could withstand the king of Babylon. And as the Babylonians were coming in, this gate of the city, they were fleeing out the other side of the city. When you look at how the uh, geography went and the details, they fled out of the other side of the sea. But, of course, they caught up with them. Now, it's quite interesting if you look at the passage of Scripture in Jeremiah, what one of the main problems was. As for the bad figs in Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 8, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. Surely, says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, king of Judah, his princes, and the residue of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. Oh, there's a detail we've got to explore. But what's so bad about that? What was so bad about Egypt that the people who fled to Egypt would be considered bad figs? Well, you have to do some homework. You have to understand, you read the Bible to understand the Bible. And look back in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah, of course, wrote this about 115 years earlier. Remember I said they'd been warned for 100 years. And 115 years earlier, Isaiah brought up a specific strategy that they would try to employ. Look closely. He'd been warning them that judgment was coming. He had been warning them that they ought to turn from, from their wicked ways and turn to God or judgment was coming. And then he said, oh, by the way, look in verse 1 of chapter 30. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not taken my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Turn over to just one more chapter, chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and horsemen because they're very strong. Look at this. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. What did Jeremiah say 115 years later? And here are the people who thought they would escape the judgment of God by going down to Egypt. God can't get us. Egypt is strong. They're going to trust in the strength of Egypt. And he said they take counsel, but not of counsel. They don't seek me. They devise plans, but they're not my plans. Doesn't that sound familiar? Anything but God's way. Anything but God is what humanity seeks. You look at our culture. You look at our entertainment. You look at the things that are accepted, the things, of course, that are making all the political hot spots and so forth. Anything but God's ways. Anything but God's ways. And the nation was just like that. They seek counsel, but anything but God's word. Anything but God's counsel. And that's what we were talking about, this basket of bad figs. 
was exactly what uh, Isaiah had said 115 years earlier. Now, how long is that? Well, 115 years ago was the year, of course, 1904. My great-grandparents were adults then. Some of my grandparents were young people. Some had not even been born. My great-grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, me, my adult children, five adult generations had heard this warning over and over again, and they completely ignored it, completely. Now you see why the judgment was so harsh. It wasn't that that took them by surprise. He said, it's coming, and he gave them ample time. You know, we think, of course, when a, a tornado comes, we have what? Five, ten minutes warning sometime. Then, then there's a big old hurricane out there in the Atlantic Ocean. And it's coming. And we have about four or five days for these coastal cities to prepare and say, wow, why did that take them by surprise? They could have been ready. They had five or six days. Then you look at these people. They had over 120 years that God had said, storm's coming. They totally ignored God's word, and the storm came because they trusted anything but God, and they looked to everything but his ways for their answers. So, there's the what. Now the so what. What's the lesson for us? First of all, we've got the basket of good figs. Good figs. Now, what do we do with good figs? Well, we use good figs. But here's the thing about figs. Most of the figs that, of course, were the biggest crop of figs, the best crop of figs, only lasted about six months, six weeks, about six weeks. So you gathered all you could. What would you do so you could use those figs later? You would preserve them. You would take all those good figs and you would preserve them. Now, they preserve them in a, in a way that we don't. Of course, they preserve them by drying them. They would dry them, and they would dry them and cure them, and they would stay for the rest of the year. And that's the way they still do that. But not in the South. Not in the South. Not in our day. You know how we preserve figs? We candy them in sugar, don't we? I remember my Mama Rogers. I would go out there and stay with them for a week in the summertime, they would fix toast in the morning, and she would have that big jar of fig preserves. They weren't mushy. They were like candied figs. I mean, they, they were loaded up with sugar, and I loved it, man. I, was, I didn't even know what a raw fig tasted like, but I did love the big, big preserves. So we understand God said, look at these figs. It's a basket of good figs. And everybody knew, what did you do with the good figs? You preserved the figs. And it says this in verse 5, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Like these good figs, I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah. I've sent out of this place for their own good. Their own good. And you know what God did? For 70 years, he preserved them. That's three generations. For 70 years, he preserved them. And then he brought them back. They went away with the first deportation. And yes, they were carried away into exile. 
but they thrived and they grew and they were preserved. And then he reshaped the nation. The reason they were carried away is their heart was away from the Lord. And notice what it says in verse 7. I'll give them a heart to know me. I'll give them a heart to know me. They'll be my people. I'll be their God. They'll return to me with their whole heart. You remember last week the parable of the potter. This, we're still looking about the same principle. It says, and the clay was marred in the hands of the potter. Didn't say the potter marred it. It said the clay had a flaw. What did the potter do? He reshaped it and reworked it, worked that flaw out of it, and it became something useful. It's what he did over in, over in Babylon. He took that pot that was marred, had a flaw, the nation of Israel, and through 70 years, he worked it and reworked it. And he said, they'll come back to me and search me with their whole heart. And he filled the vessel with something good. You remember we said God makes the vessel and he fills it up? Well, you have to look very carefully at what he said. Then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. A heart to know me. A heart with knowledge of the Lord. Let's make the connection with the parable of the potter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. Read this passage last week. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ is in an earthen vessel. You see, he took that earth, that earthen vessel, and he made it a new vessel, and he filled them with the knowledge of the glory of God. These are the people that previously anything but God. They ignored God. Any, they did not want God's way in their life. And they didn't honor God. And they came back. They were filled with a familiarity with God. A knowledge of God. And they searched him with their whole heart. Now, one more lesson from the fig tree. We can't escape this. And this is our first encounter with figs or anything with a fig tree in the scripture. The first time the word fig is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 3. You know the story. Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden had received instructions from the Lord, said you've got every tree that you can eat of here. Every tree. Every tree. But that one right there. Don't eat of that tree. And we know the story. They ate of that tree. They ate of that tree, they sinned. The sin is, of course, they do it against exactly what God told them not to do. They did that. They sinned. Up till now, they had been comfortable with God. They'd been totally comfortable with God. 
He communed with them every day. It says they were totally comfortable in their natural state. They were not ashamed. Then after they sinned, they became dreadfully uncomfortable in the sight of God. And it says, and they took fig leaves and sewed them together and made themselves clothes out of fig leaves. You see, they were uncomfortable in the presence of God because of sin. Then they tried their own way to cover it up. They tried their own way to cover it up. How effective was this? Absolutely zero effective. Because God came through and said, What have you done, Adam? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Because, you know, they were all covered up. What, what, what have you done, Adam? He said, Well, well we, we were kind of uncomfortable. So we sewed these clothes together. And he said, Who told you to be uncomfortable in my presence? You've been comfortable up to now. And he said, what you have done to cover up your sin is totally inadequate. He dealt with that sin. And what did he say? And God made clothing out of skins and covered them up. He took their inadequate covering, which was the fig leaves, and he made them adequate covering. You see, there's the gospel message in the fig leaf. Our attempt to cover up our sin, totally inadequate. When we can't hide that sin, God saw right through it. And then God gave them coverings that were adequate. There's some New Testament theology in that. Just listen to the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from work, blessed are those whose iniquities are covered. Whoa. Blessed are those whose iniquities are covered, and the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, and their sins are what? Covered. Their sins are covered. He explains this a little bit later on when he said, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. They are covered because there was a sacrifice made and Jesus Christ paid the cost for the covering of our sin. Just like in the Garden of Eden, those fig leaves were inadequate, but there was a sacrifice made. Animals had to give up their life for the remedy. Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's the message of the gospel in the fig leaves. Now, we come to an invitational hymn, and we just ask the question, are your sins covered with adequate covering? Anything else besides the blood of Jesus Christ 
Anything else besides the salvation of the Lord, totally inadequate. It'll be an embarrassment to stand before God, and we'll be uncomfortable with God. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through his blood. There's no discomfort there. No need to hide from it. Perhaps something else has touched home with us. Where are we in the basket of figs? What basket do we give God? Do we give God our best? Do we give God what honors him? Or do we give God the picked over leftovers of our life when everything else is taken care of, we've done everything else we want to do, all of our time has been parceled out with everything. If there's something left over, God gets it. If there's nothing left over, well, maybe next time. Maybe later I'll do better. Does that sound familiar? With most of us, yes. But we can change that as we stand and sing. What number? Number 100.